0: Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez-Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell.
1: Oh, wow. So
0: excited. I hope everybody is
1: happy, joyous, and free this morning because we've got basically a life changer for you let me introduce right now two extraordinary women who are perhaps tackling the most important challenge of our time because health often travels in families so do illnesses so if a family's healthy eating for example a plant-based diet it's great for that family, it's great for the extended family, it's great for neighbors, it's great for friends, it's great for work colleagues, but if the family is unhealthy and um, misinformed, frankly, and is clinging to traditions that are not good uh, for their health, um, behavior patterns, eating patterns, buying patterns, shopping patterns, uh, fast food, for example, or Processed meat, which is officially cancer-causing according to the World Health Organization, eating that, packing that into their kids' lunches, then we've got a problem. And and frankly, we do have a problem. Uh, America's health stats are pretty awful. So we've got two incredible women. They've written a book called Nourish. Please hold it up. I would love to see this book, Nourish, and tell us all about the book. Uh, you're holding it up, Brenda. So why don't you start telling us about the book, and we'll take it away. Okay, well,
2: I'll, I'll just uh, tell you that uh, Reshma and I, or Dr. Shaw and I, uh, decided to write this, this book, which is a, a really a comprehensive guidebook for families uh, who want to, who are curious about plant-based, who are already plant-based, or who even are entirely vegan, to help them uh, uh, just get it right, essentially. And we saw um, really nothing similar uh, that was available uh, to date. So we really felt like it was a a void in the literature that needed to be filled. And I'll let uh, Dr. Shaw tell you a little bit more about it.
3: (laughs) Dr. Shaw, take it away. All right. So, um, as Brenda mentioned, we wrote this book to support families that were looking to feed their families in a way that was healthy, nourishing, but also addressed many of the global challenges that we're facing, such as climate change and compassion towards animals. And it truly is a comprehensive guide. We divided the book into four sections. And the first section is all about the why, why we should consider leaning more towards a plant-based diet. And the second section of the book really delves deeply into the specific nutrition concerns that parents may have. Um, I think for a lot of people, you know, raising an infant or a child or an adolescent on an entirely plant-based vegetarian or vegan diet seems overwhelming. And there are a lot of questions about the safety and adequacy of such diets. So that second section of the book provides all those sort of nitty gritty details that parents want. And then the third section of the book is about the issues that parents face around their dinner tables. So from picky eaters to pediatric health related issues, um, the importance of family dinner. And then the final and last section of the book is about connection. So actually putting all of those strategies into action at our dinner tables. We provide parents with resources, sort of how to stock a pantry. And then we have over 50 plant-based recipes um, to get families started.
1: Now, I think of all the things you've mentioned, I'm gonna just pick my favorite, and that is raising kids vegan. Because what I see are a lot of people who are going vegan, huge numbers, and uh, their stats are better than the general population. You had the game changers, where you had some of the top athletes in the world, Dotsie Bausch, a vegan Olympian, the strongest man in Germany, all of these people, plant-based, a good portion of the Tennessee Titans, obviously Tom Brady, plant-based, how many Super Bowls has he won? And so adults, but then when it comes to babies, there's this, well, I can't take the risk. Now, how do we break that down? Because the first thing I say is we're not cows. Feeding cow's milk to babies is not good. Once a child is weaned from his or her own mother's milk, there's no reason for that child to drink the breast milk of another species. But I'm not a doctor. And so many of the doctors are brainwashed just like the general population uh, is brainwashed. How do you counteract that? And what do you tell Dr. Shaw, what do you tell moms who let's say they're vegan, they're pregnant, and then they're getting pressure from the grandparents, well, you've got to feed them this. I've heard these stories so many times Uh, And I also know plenty of people who have vegan babies who are totally healthy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, In fact, I've been urging them do a show and show exactly what you do. You know, obviously you breastfeed your child. And then, then what do you feed your child when they, when they transition to other food, take it away. Because I think if we could solve that conundrum and make people make parents feel rest easy, that would be the final piece of the puzzle.
3: Yeah, and I um, i mean, we could spend so much time just on this one question alone, and I'll just share a quick story. I, When I was um, seeing patients one day on the weekends, I had this new family come in, um, and they very reluctantly shared with me um, that they were vegan. The mom had just delivered a baby, and the reason they didn't want to share the information is because every single healthcare provider that they encountered along their care told them that it was a bad idea to be vegan. And so what the family ended up doing is they just didn't tell people. And it was wrong on both ends. On the one hand, there are certain supplements and nutrients that pregnant moms especially need to be um, aware of, but it's not that difficult. And the milk issue in terms of pediatrics, I can tell you in terms of my training, it was drilled into us to ask about, are you getting your three servings of dairy? I mean, that was really the focus um, of our nutrition counseling for families is are you getting three glasses of milk a day? And the reality is, is we don't need cow's milk. As you mentioned, we need some of the nutrients that cow's milk may provide such as calcium and protein and vitamin D. The other thing I always remind people is that you you can
1: get it somewhere else.
3: Absolutely. And the other thing, where do you get it? So for those people, let's break it down a little bit
1: because so for those people say, well, you're saying, first of all, let me say a couple of things. One, People go, well, uh, as a vegan, you're not getting your entire nutrients. You need to take B12 supplements. And I say to them, vitamins are a multi-multi-billion dollar industry in America, and 99.999% of the people consuming them are not yes. vegans. Yes.
3: And vitamin so, D- milk is fortified with vitamin D. So it's not... Right. Is so, with tell us
1: what, what it is that you can get, where you can get the things that, um, let's say conditioned pediatricians who are doing old school, you've got to drink the breast milk of a cow. Where do you, what are the nutrients that kids need that that the pediatricians say you have to get in milk and where can you get them in another form that is healthier and doesn't come with the hormones and the antibiotics and everything else?
3: So I'll answer the broad question and then Brenda can definitely answer some of the specific nutrient concerns. So calcium is the biggest one um, and plant-based milks. Fortified plant-based milks nowadays, There's so many different varieties. And one thing I always tell pediatricians is, what would you do if you had a child that was allergic to cow's milk? Because it's a common food allergy. You certainly wouldn't tell them that they have to drink milk. So there are lots and lots of places where you can get calcium, protein, and other nutrients um, that are found in cow's milk.
1: All right. So is it the main thing is calcium? Because I have to tell you, I've had this conversation with relatives. One has... um, you know, uh, what you call brittle bones or, uh, what's the technical Osteoporosis. Behavior. Yeah. Osteoporosis. I have to drink milk. And I'm like, no, you don't. What's the argument. You're looking at her right now. We'll get back to the kids in a second, but what's the argument that you don't need to drink the breast milk of cows to deal with osteoporosis. And in fact, it can hurt it because it has an acidity that, that, uh, that contributes to the problem. Brenda.
2: Well, um, first of all, I would say that in terms of osteoporosis, there's an excellent article that was recently written called Milk and Health, and uh, it was written by two of the leading epidemiologists in the world, uh, Walter Willett and David Ludwig, and they summarize uh, all of the, you know, pertinent information where dairy is concerned, and they look at not just osteoporosis, but heart disease and cancer risk and all of these things. And, and then they come to some, some uh, I think, very, very balanced conclusions with regards to, to milk and, and uh, health. And, and so this is a resource that's available free online that I think would be appropriate to share with your physician if they're feeling that you absolutely have to feed your children uh, milk. And as Dr. Shaw said, there, is, um, there are nutrients that are found in milk, not just the milk of cows, but the milk of every mammal that are important to human health. Um, but no mammal consumes those uh, nutrients from the milk of another species beyond wean, <laughs> you know, ever. Uh, and certainly we don't even consume them beyond weaning age from our own species milk. And so if you look back in Paleolithic times, people actually averaged between 1 and 2,000 milligrams of calcium per day without a single drop of cow's milk. They didn't, didn't have it. get it. They got it from, of course, the same place we can get it from, from uh, all sorts of plants. Uh, greens that are low in oxalates, like like kale and broccoli and 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 Chinese greens and turnip greens the greens that you can't rely on uh, as calcium sources are spinach swiss chard and um, spinach swiss chard and uh, beet greens because they're very high in oxalate so you only get about five percent of the calcium that's present in those foods whereas for the other greens you get somewhere 40 to 70 percent of the calcium from those foods you get about 32 percent of the calcium from cow's milk by comparison Uh, There are all sorts of good sources of calcium. Things like uh, beans are reasonable sources of calcium. Tofu is actually really high in calcium, especially if it's precipitated with calcium sulfate. And then there's, you know, within every food group, there are calcium rich foods, even among, you know, fruits, uh, oranges and figs are, are reasonable sources. And the You know, if you look at every food group, uh, even grains, some of the grains will have a little bit of calcium. So when you're eating plant-based, you're getting little bits of calcium throughout. Now, even if you, you know, eat the entire food-based plate, um, you may still fall a little bit short if you're not selecting, you know, more calcium-rich sources within each food group. But then we have all of these you know, non-dairy milks that are fortified to the very same level of cow as cow's milk. So you've okay. Got-
1: so wait, you just hit the main thing. So if you drink almond milk, soy milk, cashew milk, rice milk, hemp milk, they're fortified with this calcium. So it's the same exact amount of calcium absolutely. as drinking the cow's milk without the cholesterol and without everything else. Absolutely, absolutely, and they're generally fortified with B12, vitamin D. In
2: Canada, they're fortified with zinc. Uh, So, and actually, if you compare uh, full fat fortified soy milk to cow's milk, one of the benefits for children is that it's higher in iron. And iron is the number one nutritional deficiency
1: uh, for children throughout the world. So, uh, you know, I know I have a relative who drinks uh, lactose free cow's milk. I just, I hope she's watching. I don't think she is, but I try, I've been aiming. I mean, that is the craziest of all. It's like I'm allergic to milk, but I'm going to take out the lactose and drink it anyway. Um, The big problem, I think, are doctors and so called nutritionists, dietitians. they're very resistant. If they themselves are eating animals and animal byproducts, they're very resistant to promoting um, uh, a plant-based diet. So first of all, I think uh, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine is amazing because they're getting, you know, medical professions, they're giving them medical professionals, they're giving them the information, and then those people are transitioning to plant-based and then they're saying, oh wow, I feel better. Uh, my stats are better. I'm going to recommend this to my patients. How can we break through this log jam? It's not a week passes that I don't hear. Look, I've gone to doctors with a, with a sprained finger and somehow they try to make it about me being vegan. And I'm like, well, what about all the people lying there in the gurneys outside who look like they're, uh, you know, quite ill and they're not vegan? Do you tell them that that's about their meat eating? Or are you just, you know, there's prejudice, carnistic prejudice, And it's out there. And the first thing we have to realize is people be aware of it. Doctors are just people. You know, we know if you back pre-COVID, you walk through a hospital, you'll see a bunch of people in business suits carrying what looks like carry-on luggage. Those are filled with pills. And they're samples that are given away to doctors to encourage them to to prescribe those pills. And uh, so they're being... uh, they're being uh, hit just like back, you know, when I was a kid, the Fuller Brushman would come and try to sell my mother a bunch of stuff she didn't need. Uh, So (laughs) tell us, Dr. Shaw, you know, how do we deal with doctors and the medical community still, you know, rolling their eyes and um, even as the evidence mounts with study after study that Look, darn it, processed meat is officially cancer causing, according to the World Health Organization. Red meat is a likely carcinogen, according to the
3: World Health, these are not vegan groups. So, first of all, I have to say I have a lot of empathy for physicians because I think one of the main reasons that um, this advice is given is because nutrition education and medical training is very lacking. O- only about twenty five percent of medical schools meet the current recommendations set by the Academy of Sciences in terms of how much nutrition education we can get. So doctors that are giving advice about nutrition often have not had training themselves. So it's kind of, you know, their own biases definitely come into the picture. The good news is, is that it's changing. Um, I work with residents and medical students um, and other academic institutions, and people are really interested to know about nutrition, and plant-based eating is on the rise. And so what I tell physicians is, even if you yourself are not plant-based, you have to be very well-versed in how to support patients, because the truth is, plant-based eating is here, the trend is growing, and it's not going away. So even if you yourself are not plant-based, you need to be able to support patients and I think that physicians are becoming much more savvy to the benefits of plant-based diets through the physicians through the work of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine through a variety of national organizations and dietetic organizations um, that really you know put forth a plant-centered, plant-forward diet as the foundation for health. So I think it's changing.
2: Are there- Yes, and can I can I add yeah. something to that because I think it's really important for people to understand. That diet. This is not controversial. Diet is the number one risk factor for the chronic diseases that kill the majority of people in uh, in the world, and and particularly in North America. Uh, probably about seventy percent of people die because of lifestyle-induced diseases, and and physicians are getting more interested, and we need to approach them with compassion, and and just I think probably the most powerful tool any patient has to sway their doctors is their own example. Uh, When, you know, a a person who's had type 2 diabetes who goes plant-based and comes into their doctor and their diabetes is gone, uh, that's a very, very powerful tool to get the doctor's mind to open up. I'll never forget when I was... uh, probably around 50 years old, I had a complete bone density scan because my mom developed osteoporosis at 50. I had been vegan for, you know, 20 years plus. Uh, you know, I was a small white, you know, or Caucasian female. And my doctor figured I must be at super high risk. And when my results came back, his jaw absolutely dropped when he opened my, my file because my my bone density was between two and two and a half standard deviations above norm for my age. And he said, they couldn't even plot the bone density on the chart. It was actually, you know, they had an arrow off the top of the chart. Uh, Osteoporosis is two, you know, two standard deviations or two and a half standard deviations below norm. I was at the opposite end of the spectrum. And so that was a powerful um, lesson for my physician that people who are, and and, you know, the thing that you have to remember is it doesn't matter what kind of diet you're eating, your diet needs to be appropriately planned. Now in North America, appropriately planned diets, all of our nutrition education materials are directed towards omnivores. Uh, It is starting to change and particularly in Canada, I'm not sure if you're aware of what's happened with Canada's food guide, but our food guide no longer includes dairy products as an essential group. So our food guide is half the plate is fruits and vegetables, a quarter of the plate is grains, and a quarter of the plate is protein-rich foods. And they encourage people to choose plant sources of protein over animal sources that's our food guide and beside it is a glass of water dairy is a little part of that for a food group but it's not considered an essential group on its own anymore and i think that's the direction that that things are heading and uh, and doctors are i think becoming more and more open to these um, to to the information i mean You know, we know enough now. I can remember back in 1990 when the World Health Organization put out, uh, you know, diet, nutrition, and the prevention of chronic disease, and they were examining the strength of the evidence between diet and disease. And at that time, they said, we know enough. We know enough for governments all over the world to make nutrition a national priority. And we know enough. Not to allow industry influence in those national policies. But industry influence
1: is everywhere. I know. Well, that's one thing. The the USDA is a, uh, the head of the, was formerly the head of the dairy trade group. And, and so back then in
2: 1990, we were warned about that. Canada finally excluded industry influence from their food guide. And that's why we have the guide we have today. And well, my hope
1: is that the U.S. will eventually get there as well. we then going to take were- a short break on Voice America Radio, but we're going to stay live on Facebook. We'll be
3: sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now.
0: Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. listening to jane unchained to reach the show today call in to 1-866-472-5795 that's 1-866-472-5795 you may also send an email in to jane unchained news at gmail.com now back to the show
1: i always dance
0: through that music just like on our
1: tv show new day new chef every time we turn on the blender we do a blender dance and everybody loves it i suggest you know People think going vegan is a sacrifice. Actually, we are a very happy happy group of people. And one of the reasons is that we know we're not killing every day. That's probably the biggest reason because the reptilian brain knows. You may be in denial and cover up your dead animal with all sorts of sauces, but there's there's a part of your brain that knows you're killing, that you you've participated in killing. And uh So that that weighs down the subconscious guilt, the subconscious guilt, it's a heaviness. And we are released from that when we go vegan. And then the other thing is that your serotonin levels, which determine your mood, are um, basically affected by your gut biome. I'm no doctor, but this is what I've heard and I'd like to hear more about it actually. And so if you're eating healthy fruits, vegetables, nuts, and grains, and all that great gut biome is creating high serotonin levels, you wake up happy. You know, um, I sometimes I go, wow, I, it's the morning. I'm just here and I'm really happy. <laughs> and no mood-altering substances. Okay, we've got a whole bunch of people on hold. Let's start with uh donnie donnie your question or thought
3: yeah i'm just curious to know if the third party organizations the trade groups for registered dietitians or for nutritionists what do they say about plant-based diets because i often meet people who are dietitians who don't seem to advocate for it and i'm just curious about all of that
1: thank you donnie
3: dr shaw you want to take that well, I'll give it to Brenda because she's the dietitian so <laughs> Go
2: ahead. yeah so um, the we have a group in Canada called Dietitians of Canada and we have a group in the United States called the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics I, I am a member of both of those uh, organizations and and I would say in both cases uh, they aren't advocating uh, vegan diet but they have, you know uh, for example the the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics the American group actually has a practice group for vegetarian and vegan nutrition and uh, and the practice group strongly advocates for plant-based diets and tries to further um you know the role of plant-based diets in within the academy and so i think that uh, if I think back 30 years ago the position of plant-based diets within these organizations were gaining uh, respect and and certainly most dietitians are reasonably well qualified now to um, be able to address any clients that might be plant-based to help them ensure nutritional adequacy. And I I I know uh, 30 years ago, uh 30 more than 30 years ago when I went plant-based, I didn't know if there was another vegetarian or vegan dietitian on the planet. Um, it was very scary for me because I I was sure I would be ousted from my profession. Uh, but I made a decision to stay, and, and what really shocked me was that not only was I not ousted from the profession, but I was really embraced by the profession because they wanted credible information to give them guidelines to support their plant-based clients. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. And, and, and I'll tell you another thing that makes me very hopeful is that I can't tell you the number of young people that are going through school as physicians, as dietitians who are plant-based themselves have a keen interest in it and are pursuing the profession to try to, to, to further our cause. So
1: we have a lot of reason for hope. I always say this to people because I'm in the news business. If you don't like the coverage, go and become a journalism major and get into a newsroom and argue the way I did for 38 years. Okay, and said, I'm not going to read a rodeo story as a happy little kicker and I'm not and picking up the glue traps in the newsroom and all sorts of things that did not particularly (laughs) endear me to anybody. But that's that's how progress occurs. Um, We've got another caller, Kim. Kim, your question or thought. Hi, thank you very much for this important
2: conversation and I'm wondering, I'm sorry if I missed it, but was there any talk about the pyramid? Has the, the food pyramid changed? Is it international? Um, you know, just wondering if there's talk and uh, movement towards changing
1: the pyramid, the food pyramid. Well, you know, that's a really good question because we talked about the food guidelines in Canada changing and they no longer say meat. They just say protein and they encourage plant-based Um, Where do we stand here in the United States? Who can take that one? I I can take that because, again, it's more of a dietetic kind
2: of question. But uh, uh, we don't have the pyramid anymore in the United States. Look in the camera, my dear. Look up into the camera. There you uh, go. Thank you. We don't have the pyramid anymore. We we had it for, for a number of years in the U.S., uh, we now have something which is a plate that looks a lot like the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine plate, actually, uh, where you've got fruits and vegetables and and uh, grains and and protein-rich foods, uh, and uh, and then you know milk on the side, uh, and that's that's the the new. Does the uh, word dairy get in there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's still very much recommended to have two or three servings of dairy a day. And so, and that was the point of the milk and health article. They really examined whether or not that was an appropriate recommendation. And, and their conclusion was no, it's not, Uh, it's not necessary. And it may
1: even be harmful in some cases. So let me ask you a question. I want to cut to the chase here because this is what's infuriating. You have pediatricians advocating three glasses of milk a day. A study comes out, uh, you know, a lot of these other studies that say, you know, if, you, if you see a study, it says drink wine, it's great for you. Look at who funded the study. Usually it's the wine industry. And as a recovering alcoholic who knock on wood will be 26 years sober, I was look for a little wood here in uh, a couple of weeks, uh, April 1st, April Fool's Day, which is a very appropriate day for my sobriety day because I, I made a fool of myself. Uh, but uh, you see that it's, it's the wine industry advocating drinking wine. And when you see these studies that say, oh, yeah, you have to have dairy, you know, they can twist these studies any way they want. Now, this study that you're pointing out came out and said, "No, advocating 3 glasses of milk a day is not a good idea." Let me ask a question. Why does the medical community not stop and pause and say, "Okay, maybe we shouldn't advocate for that?"
3: I think a lot of it is inertia. You know, we've been this is what we've been advising for decades and um, not everyone is reading every article. People are usually busy in their clinical practices um, and change happens slowly. So I think this article, as Brenda mentioned, it's a great sort of resource and tool to walk into the office and say, hey, uh, to your pediatrician, if you haven't read it, would you take a look at this? Um, but reason- I mean, really, is it
1: our job as patients to go in there and say, here, do your homework? I mean, what's, where's the American Medical Association? Why is it the American Medical Association looking at this, looking at the fact that prior to COVID, one out of every four people died of heart disease. And generally that's from arteries to the heart, getting clogged with plaque, which comes from cholesterol. In fact, they say that on the American Heart Association page. I'm always, I go there and it says, yeah, plaque leads to heart disease. Heart disease is the leading killer. And plaque comes from cholesterol. And guess where cholesterol comes from? Meat and dairy. There is zero cholesterol in any vegan
3: product. Yeah, and actually the number one source of saturated fat in the United States is dairy. And I think specifically it's like foods like pizza. Um, And I think a lot it's a very complicated issue, right? It's like industry ties and the influence. And I think change happens slowly, but even in the new dietary guidelines that were just published um, a couple of months ago from the USDA for the, you know, they're actually saying, if you don't want dairy, you can have soy as an alternative, which may seem like a small step, but it's a huge step. Because before um, soy was not included as like sort of a dairy alternative. So change is happening, but I think it's a very complex issue between industry and all the different things that we've already talked about.
1: Now, soy, sometimes the doctors warn you against soy when in fact, um now, again, I'm not a doctor, so I'd like you to clarify this so that people watching have good arguments when people go, ooh, soy, it's dangerous. There was a whole, again, fake news, um, <laughs> alternate fact promoted that somehow dairy, I mean, uh, sorry, soy is filled with hormones, when in fact it's phytoestrogens, which are not hormones. The hormones are from the dairy that is packed with hormones, can you break that down? I'm just telling you my sort of piecemeal understanding of it, but this is really crucial because they're still trying to demonize soy.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I can take yeah. this. So, so I think for, for any food,
2: I think one of the big acid tests is to take a look at the consumption levels in the healthiest, longest lived people in the world. We have five blue zones, two out of the five blue zones eat soy as a dietary staple. If soy was really and truly poisoned people, they probably wouldn't be the healthiest, longest lived people on the planet. And I think that's, you know, just something for people to recognize. Soy has probably been one of the most studied foods. There are literally thousands of research papers on soy. And here's what we know. Uh, soy is something called a selective estrogen receptor modulator, which means that it can act as a very weak estrogen in some human tissue, and it can act as an anti-estrogen in some human tissue. Generally, the intake of soy has been associated with lower risk of heart disease, lower risk of breast cancer, lower risk of prostate cancer, even um, you know lower risk of the symptoms of menopause. Uh, there are some you know wonderful. Uh, attributes to soy. It doesn't mean you should be eating twelve servings a day. Uh, but certainly it is a wonderful part of a healthy diet and is an excellent source of a, a variety of nutrients, including protein and 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 I, I calcium got it. So but forth. let's let's bust the hormone myth. Yeah, so the hormone myth, I mean, the the kind of estrogen, that increases cell proliferation and increases our risk of breast cancer is estradiol, which is a human-produced uh, hormone. In, in uh, soy, we have these phytoestrogens that actually block, they attach to estrogen receptor sites and block that more aggressive human hormone from increasing our risk and that's why we have lower risk of, of breast cancer and prostate cancer with uh, the phytoestrogens as opposed to with human estrogens or oh. with estrogens from even from cow's milk, which is a, a
1: more damaging type of estrogen as well. So I think well, that- I mean, because people don't even know that cows have to be pregnant to produce milk and that when you're pregnant, hormones are through the roof. And so if you're trying to avoid hormones, drinking milk, Break that down in plain English if you would, because I think this is a key issue that people need to sometimes be able to have these arguments. And by the way, Shield uh, Shield Ontario says some tofu has GMO, try to make sure it's organic non-GMO. I always go for everything, try to go non-GMO organic. When I can, okay. But break down this whole hormone thing, Brenda, or whoever. Did you
2: want to take that? Rachel?
3: Well, I, I think it's exactly what you said. I think a lot of people feel like, well, the dairy that I buy is hormone free and it's free range or grass fed or whatever. But it's exactly what you said. In order for a cow to produce milk, she has to be either pregnant or lactating, which there are so many just you know endogenous hormones from the cow. So you're getting a greater exposure of harmful hormones through cow's milk than any you know phytoestrogens that are found in soy milk. Phytoestrogens are very protective, and the research you know they used to say women who have a history of breast cancer, who've had breast cancer before should avoid soy foods. And that recommendation has changed as well. So soy is not a food. And the only reason to really avoid soy is if you have an allergy, which some people do, um, or an intolerance, you absolutely can eat a healthy plant-based diet without soy foods. But I think soy adds so much like flexibility and deliciousness um, that it really doesn't need to be avoided.
1: Well, what I always say, and I don't think I came up with this myself i probably read it somewhere is soy has been test marketed in the asian world for centuries yes in fact the asian exactly. world came up with meat alternatives long before the beyond meats of the world okay yes. it's they're far more sophisticated and they the that that region of the world has better health stats until they started eating the western diet some of the bad health stats came in with the fast food yeah but up until that point You know, look at the China study, right? The China study is an incredible book that shows this. Uh, So what what can we do to have a breakthrough in the medical community? Let me give you an example. Um, We are having a breakthrough right now with, I think, climate. And it's it's basically like punching holes in the wall of denial. I like to do this. Um, (laughs) Punching holes in the wall of denial. So you have... People who refuse, so-called environmentalists, they don't want to talk about diet. They don't want to talk about animal agriculture. Why? Because they're eating meat. They don't want to change. They'd rather point the finger at the fossil fuel industry, an amorphous industry. You know, I've gone to these climate uh, marches uh, and some people are educated about it and some people are plant-based. But a lot of people um, just don't want to hear it. They'll go to a climate march and then they'll go have a burger afterwards. And, uh, you know, if you really um, start looking at the issue, animal agriculture, there's a new white paper, uh, climatehealers.org, just go to climatehealers.org. You'll see it makes a very powerful argument that animal agriculture is not a leading cause, but the leading cause of climate change and greenhouse gas emissions. And that if we want to reverse climate change, what we really need to do is take the, uh, pretty much like half of ice-free land that is devoted to cattle grazing and growing crops to feed the 80 billion animals we kill every year and start reforesting, putting trees back in that area, that half of ice-free land to absorb carbon to begin to reverse the temperature. And uh, yet, these arguments—it's so hard to get these arguments through. They're not—you know—they're—they're they're somewhat complex. You've, somebody's got to stop and at least listen to you for ten seconds. And uh, I've been told literally, "You be quiet, okay?" At climate marches, you be quiet. However, breakthroughs are occurring. We know Greta Thunberg is vegan. We know uh, just today, Paris Jackson okay, who has millions of followers, the daughter of Michael Jackson, um, has teamed up with Stella McCartney, the daughter of Paul McCartney, who is the famous fashion, vegan, uh, plant-based fashion designer who really broke through with fashion and compassion. They're working together and she did a, a video, Paris Jackson, that said an animal agriculture is you know, really hurting our planet. One young woman like that saying it, huge punch through through the wall, huge punch. Bill Gates, um, less than two weeks ago, said, we got to switch to synthetic meat. Now, even though the mainstream advertiser-based media that is paid by meat, dairy, and pharmaceuticals tried to make fun of him, I always say, who's smarter, Bill Gates or that news anchor, right? So he's punching a hole. So as these holes get punched at a certain point... <laughs> It gets through to the public. Whoa, animal agriculture is a big problem with climate change. We're getting there slowly but surely. Where are we with similarly um, trying to punch holes through this idea that you need to eat meat and dairy to be healthy when, in fact, most of the leading killers are as the result of eating meat and dairy? Where are we? we've got to switch the equation. I mean, we've got to switch the equation. I just have to say that let's let's just say it like it is. As opposed to oh, you can be healthy on a plant-based diet. Is it not true? And you've just written this book Nourish and you're a doctor and you're a dietitian. Is it not true that actually most of the illnesses that are killing people in America, let's just stick with America, and um, making them sick are caused by eating meat and dairy. It's not just, oh, you can be okay and live on a plant-based diet. It's actually that this is the leading destructive force
3: in human health today. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. First of all, in terms of the environment and the medical piece, we're seeing overlap of those two things. So I know we're talking about the US, but in Canada, their food guidelines actually talk about the environment. The USDA very specifically did not want to include environmental considerations in their recommendations. And a couple of years ago, there was a... uh, international uh, committee, the Eat Lancet Commission on Food, that addressed this exact question of the overplay between human health and planetary health. And the bottom line is, if we don't have a planet to live on, it doesn't really matter if we live to 100 and beyond. Um, And then the second thing I will say is that, you know, our default has been can a plant-based diet be safe? People are so intimidated. And I think with the destruction that we're causing with the planet and the slaughtering of all these animals, I think the argument needs to be reserve- reversed. You prove to me that I need to eat animals to be healthy. That should be sort of the baseline that we start from. And we know that you can absolutely be healthy. So you have to sort of, I think the argument should be reversed. Prove to me that you need animals in order to be healthy.
1: Well, i I honestly... Just, sorry, I have to disagree with you. I, I think that if you do that, you're going to bring out a lot of people because you can be ripped obviously on a keto diet. Okay. It it's doesn't not required a, though. You don't, you I understand be without, you it's know. not required, but, but there's a lot of ways to prove something. It's like saying I could be successful as a functioning alcoholic. Okay, I was successful as a functioning alcoholic. I never made more money than when I was a functioning alcoholic. So you don't want to ask people to prove something that is really an upside down thing. No, no you
3: know, I didn't mean to say, I, I guess I think what I meant to say is that it's absolutely not required for health. So you have to justify why would you slaughter that many animals? Why would you decimate the planet? Um, it's not that you, um, that people can be healthy in a plant-based diet, but it's absolutely not required. We can preserve our planet. We can lead healthy, joyful lives and care for the planet and not slaughter all these animals.
1: Yes, uh, I, I think we're agreeing. We're just approaching, yes. <laughs> no, I just don't want to unleash a bunch of, you know, keto bodybuilders to no, try no, to prove no. something that they could make the argument. Look at me. Like I could have said, look, I'm a functioning alcoholic. Uh, uh, I, I'm i fine. Well, I'm, on the surface, I look fine. But uh, inside, I was experiencing incomprehensible demoralization because I couldn't say no to a drink every night. Yeah. So So what might look okay on the surface is really not good. You know what I mean? And so I think what we really need to do is to gather all these studies and to do, well, what your book, please hold up your book again. There's somebody who wants a signed copy on Facebook and they want to know, how do I get a signed copy? How do you order the book? How do you get a signed copy?
3: Uh, well, with, with COVID, we actually don't. Uh, we didn't do any signed copies because we weren't doing the typical book tours. But you can buy our book anywhere books are sold. Your independent bookstores, um, the big boxes, the online retailers. It's everywhere. How's it doing? It's it's doing fairly well. We're looking um, possibly into our second printing soon. So,
1: Ooh, wonderful. Yes. And and I can I weigh in on this yes, on
2: this discussion ahead. too because I think that it's really important to recognize that human beings as a species have done pretty well on a variety of diets. And and I think that we know there are really two categories of foods that get us into trouble, not just meat and dairy. Meat and dairy are definitely two that can't, one category of food, animal products that can get us into trouble when we consume too many. Uh, But the other category is highly processed foods. And, And so, I've seen populations who, like for instance, the blue zones, they're they're really five blue zones. None of them are completely vegan and they retain really, really good health, even though they're consuming small amounts of animal products. My arguments against consuming animal products are definitely ethical and ecological. To me, when you look at the big picture, so you can create a diet that includes little bits of animal products that's predominantly plant-based and enjoy good health. But the reason not to do that is because of the cost ethically and ecologically. It is, and we as human beings have got to be smart enough to figure out how to do this without slaughtering millions
1: billions as, of animals as, as every bill year gates and said, destroying the planet as bill gates said there's no there's no way to feed 9 billion people meat and that's where we're headed Exactly. We cannot do that. We What we know is that there is
2: no way we are going to save this planet if we don't go plant-based. I don't
1: know if we'll even succeed if we do, Look, but there is no way. We're heading toward year zero. That's why I did the documentary on Dr. Silas Rao. You can watch Countdown to Year Zero on Amazon Prime. It's won several awards. It's a documentary that really explains why, if we all don't go plant-based soon, um, we're going to hit the point of no return. We're destroying so much habitat, we're accelerating so much climate change, and we're contributing to so much extreme weather, there's going to be a point of no return. So one of the reasons why we're urging everybody to go plant-based is, look, I don't have human children. I have, (laughs) there's one of them back there, my, my, my doggy babies and my kitty cat. But you know, when I go, I go. People who have children, do you want to leave a complete dystopia for your children uh, where it's too hot to walk across the street where extreme weather makes it impossible to grow? I mean, it's we're heading toward Mad Max mm-hmm. if we don't get it together. And what's really upsetting is, you know, the Paris Climate Accords are not addressing this. Mm-hmm. If you instituted the Paris Climate Accords, all it would do is prevent uh the acceleration of the heating. It wouldn't reverse it. What would reverse it is reforestation. And every single issue once you put the vegan glasses on, world hunger, human health, climate change, water pollution, um, all of these issues get solved. So Wow. Like, that. this is why I tell everybody, support Agriculture Fairness Alliance. They are getting lobbyists to go into the halls of Congress and explain these facts because these members of Congress are no more educated than the doctors and the dietitians who were telling everybody you have to drink three glasses of milk a day. Okay. So we need to educate, not just well yes the general population but particularly particularly the people in power who make the decisions because right now what we're doing is we're subsidizing big agriculture and factory farming and we're not subsidizing people who are growing fruits vegetables nuts and grains and legumes so we're we're the our tax dollars are being forced to contribute to the problem the the real question is Can we wake people up in time? What do you think, Dr. Shaw?
3: Oh, I hope so. I mean, I hope so. Um, I think that one of the things that's really going to drive this is consumer demand. I mean, you look at the explosion of just plant-based milks within the last few years, and that's all been driven by consumer demand. And I think Brenda mentioned this earlier, but I think our children and the younger generation are absolutely demanding aggressive change. And the more that these kinds of foods and products and things are available, I think we're going to reach a tipping point. And um, I think we can absolutely change the way we eat.
1: All right. Well, we've only got a couple of minutes. Let's let's do it. We've covered so much. The book is called Nourish. You can get it anywhere. Just Google Nourish. Um, what's the tagline? And um, wow, we've covered so much. I mean, <sighs> There's a meme that's very funny and it says veganism didn't work for me. And then it shows uh, a banana, Oreo cookies, French fries, and um, I don't know, one other thing, you know, a donut. Yes, you can can make it not work for you if you're psychologically, subconsciously trying to sabotage it. It's called self-sabotage. And, uh, you, you know, uh, I'll say I was a junk food vegan and, uh, during the pandemic, I just changed completely. And now I'm so much happier, really getting into cooking vegetables. I'm going to have a nice big slab of red cabbage today, steamed. And, um, you know, doesn't mean that I can't have those delights as a treat occasionally, but, Actually, self-isolating really helped me uh, because the temptations, I'm not walking into a restaurant three times a week and seeing, you know, all these great, with the vegan movement, here's what happened. They said, what do you eat, grass? And then we're like, heck no, we've got more versatility and tens of thousands of options, an infinite number of options with fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, and legumes. Let's show you how we can make incredible desserts and uh, meat alternatives. And then All those things, if you just eat those, those are, we're showing people, yeah, you you can't live without a burger. We've got burgers. You can't live without cheese. We've got great vegan cheese. You can't live without vegan, without ice cream. We've got vegan ice cream. But that doesn't mean that that's all you should eat. Those are essentially treats. The basis of our diet should be fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, and legumes. And so those things are treats, you know, and that seems pretty obvious. It took up, pandemic to get me to wake up to that and so can I I
2: chime in on that because I think this is a really important point Jane yeah whenever a vegan ignores their own health and and blows it they're eating a pile of junk food and they don't do well they become exhibit number one for why everyone around them is justified in eating meat And we need to be really careful of that. We want to set an example of great health that's so powerful, people can't ignore it anymore. We want to be the healthiest person in the room because we want to disable that argument
1: that vegan isn't good enough for health. so right. Although, as has been argued with other issues, we don't have to be super people. Like, you know, oh, we've got to be, you know... uh, Excuse me, I've, I've got to run. I've got to do a triathlon, you know. Yeah, no, we don't have to be perfect by any
2: stretch, but we want to do what we can to yeah. set an example of good
1: health within yes. what Absolutely. is accessible for us. Absolutely. It's the swing of the pendulum. Okay, we've proven that every single thing that you eat, everything you can do, I can do better. We've proved that. Now we bring it back to... Um, you know, it's the swing of the pendulum, really. Uh, so, okay, we've got, I think, like probably 30 seconds each. Final thoughts from these amazing, amazing women. Dr. Shaw.
3: So what I would say is uh, that a plant-based diet, a vegan diet is, it's a healthy, it's sustainable, but at the end of the day, it's a really joyful, delicious way to eat. It doesn't have to be complicated. And no, mer- no matter where you are, you can start. You can start at breakfast, you can start at lunch, bring your family along and, You know, let it be a joyful endeavor and so many, so many delicious foods, whether it's the plant based alternatives or you're cooking at home. It doesn't have to be complicated.
1: All right. I love it. And Brenda Davis, dietitian. Well,
2: again, I I echo the sentiments that Dr. Shah just said. I think it's, it's, we need to recognize that this is doable, but it's not just doable. It can be uh, the most amazingly wonderful way to eat. When you retrain your palate to enjoy the taste of whole foods, uh, they are amazing to eat and it's fun, delightful. You're not sacrificing anything at all.
1: It's really, truly wonderful. We are out of time. Thank you, amazing women. The book is Nourish. Get it for your pre-vegan friends and relatives.